Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the Red Men Weekly Podcast, a show where we bring you the best clips from our Red Men Plus content here in podcast form. Straight off the bat, I want to let you know, because you are one of our loyal podcast listeners, we've got a deal for you. If you want to go and check out the, all these shows that you're about to hear in their entirety, head on over to redmenplus.com. If you sign up as a club captain on a yearly subscription, that's a club captain on a yearly subscription, it would usually cost you 50 quid. If you go there and type in the code WEEKLY on the payment screen, W-E-E-K-L-Y, we'll give you that subscription for half price. It works out at about 48 pence a week for all the amazing content, both in video and podcast forms. Obviously, you're listening to this as a podcast, so you are a podcast listener, but yeah, you can get them in your native podcast apps as well. So head on over, redmenplus.com, use the code WEEKLY and on that yearly subscription, and yet you'll get it. For half price, it works out at about 40 AP. Right then, speaking of Redmen Plus, the first clip that I want to speak to you today, Soz, the Reds keep losing, and we have to keep talking about it. Um, so yeah, obviously, in the aftermath of the defeat against Wolverhampton Wanderers, I had Abigail Rubkin and the amazing legend that is John Machen in the studio to talk our way through it. Bit of a therapy session, I guess. So yeah, check out what we have to say about that pretty disastrous day down at Molyneux. That's what's the most disappointing for, for me, and that's what I, I do wonder because Jürgen's often bemoaned, you know, lack of training time, the yeah. turnaround's relentless, we don't get time to recover. There's none of that because no. there's, there's, a, there's six, seven, eight days between games at the moment. So for you then to come out and start so dreadfully again, that's an indictment on the players, on the, the training they're doing all week, the coaching, the team selection, the manager. That has to be that because there's no, there's no fatigue here. There's no yeah. one, no one's, no one's knackered because they can't be knackered because they're having a week off. East Jaeger said in his, in his press conference, everyone's fit, everyone's fine. This is just this. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah, I mean, they're not like blameless or anything, but it just feels as though if we would have had more investment, we would have had different players to play. You yeah, know abso- what I mean? and absolutely, so yeah, it would have been ideal. It's just, you know, you know it just what, depends. What stood out for me and why I'd lay the blame f- firmly at the door of the players is the start of the second half. If they'd started the first half with the energy and the intensity that they did mm. the second, they would never have lost that football match. Yeah. So why didn't they start that way? Why, what, why did it take till the second half when they were about to be humiliated? before yeah. they actually get off their arses and do a bit of a shit. Is ship. it the tactics they're being told to play? Something, That's the yeah. thing. Like, I, I love Klopp, and like, obviously he's not... He's not immune to criticism, do you know what I mean? Like, he's the manager I want. Like, I absolutely hate the idea of, like, anything happening to him. Don't don't sack him, basically, is what I'm saying. But if, what are they doing in the training ground? What are they doing at AXA? If that's the way they're told to go out and play, 
And they can't be because I, I'm gonna, that was, by the way. So I'm gonna, I've got some some dreadful stats here. I apologise. Oh. But twenty Premier League games we've played this season, we've we've conceded first in twelve of those. Um, it's the fifth time in twenty games. So a quarter of our games this season, now, Abby, we've let a goal in within five minutes. So Trossard home to Brighton, where we end up drawing. We got beat at Arsenal. Martinelli scored after like a minute. We got beat uh, by Leeds at home. Rodrigo scored in the fourth minute. Jewsby Hall scored in the fourth minute. We came back to win that one. Albeit our top scorer this calendar year is the lad who scored the two own goals yeah. in, in that game, which kind of says you something. <laughs> and then obviously at the weekend, Matip's own goal in the, in the fifth minute. Like five, a quarter of all Premier League games this season, we've, we've been behind within five minutes. That can't be tactics. There's no, there's no tactics that can be exploited within five. Yeah. That just doesn't happen. That's a that's a a mentality mm. and a, a readiness and something about being a lack of preparation because. Teams aren't figuring it out tactically in, four, in three, four, five. If you look at all those goals, they were, they're all a shambles. It's Every good, single one yeah. of them is absolutely pure, just shit in the bed, basically. It's just crap defending and crap all over the park. Basically, we're slow. We don't know how to press anymore. Normally, we go into games. Well, I say normally. <coughs> I mean, we used to go into games guns blazing, do you know what I mean? But it just doesn't happen anymore. It, it, I don't even know how to explain it because a lot of the goals that we've conceded have been different. But you look at the likes of Matab and Gomez the other day, it was just so poor. Like half the time I didn't know where Gomez was. Matab was flinging himself all over the place, like just kicking his leg out where he didn't need to, stuff like that. It's just painful to watch. I, th- I mean, I think even like Robertson, he's, hard, he's not the player yeah. he was. No, he's not. You know, he doesn't go forward with the kind of energy he used to. And his defending is awful. He's way off his player all the time, just, and then and then, I mean, both those goals were were not being people not being closed down quickly yeah. enough, so allowed to move the ball in our penalty area, and that that's just a, I don't even know what that is. Why they know how to defend? Why don't they do? And that's the thing. And that's the thing. I was like, and I get it. Everyone deserves kissing, but like, there's not a tactic alive, and it's, there's no, yeah, and Klopp and Pep Linders, a piece of I'm not saying to anyone, right. Someone gets the ball in our box, don't close them down. That, that just isn't happening, of course they are. So the first goal, it's one dink ball. It's Juan kind of sells them a dummy. Um, I've never seen anyone buy a dummy as much as Joel Matip bought that dummy. Mm. He, he, he physically stops yeah. going. Yeah. Gomez isn't great for it either. He's out of position a couple of times. And you mentioned the cross could easily have been stopped. And then you get a little bit unlucky with the, with the deflection. I get it, but like you've 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 the reason you're out of position is, is because Matip again. And we might as well talk. We might as well talk about both of them here now before we move on. But like he's having a really shaky season. And Jamie Carragher's tweet about him and Gomez was very very damn. And he basically said, you know, it's all right looking paraphrasing, but like it's all right looking good when the leaders next to him Van Dijk's next year when yeah. he's not there. That that's how you show. And then he said it was it's absolutely shambolic. Yeah. Um, and it's it's hard to disagree. It is an absolute shambles at the back for both of the goals, but in particular that first one. There are two centre-halves and they are miles off it. They've been made a show of, basically. Well, that's it. That's what I was going to say. Like, not having Virgil next year. Even Canate. Canate, in my opinion, is a better centre-half than either of them. So the fact that we're without both of them, that's just... I mean, does that show that Matip and Gomez can't perform without having, like, a leader next to them? I mean, they, I, mean I think we forget that, you know, before Van Dijk got injured, that was always the case. Mm. That unless Van Dijk was playing, we were rubbish. Yeah. You know, I mean, and before we bought him, we were we were terrible. I mean, Van Dyke makes a big difference, but he shouldn't make that much difference. Yeah, to be to fair, basics. To be so. fair, we've had performances with Van Dyke this season, and we've yeah. been absolutely yeah, that, that, shocking that's as well. True. So that's true. <sighs> it's just depressing. <laughs> it's a bad goal. I, 
I, I, I said to Chris on the game, and feel free to let me know if I'm wrong and tell me I'm wrong. I still think Trent could do better. Yeah. You know that when it bounces yeah, off that I back thought. post. I was like, why don't you like try and kick that ball? He didn't Again, try and touch he, it. Doesn't, he doesn't try his, and do his, anything. His, his problem is that he's facing the goal, isn't he? Yeah. You know, so he almost everything he, yeah. almost everything he did would have ended up in the back of the net. And he he'd have had the own goal and he'd have been blamed all over the press for Trent being a yeah, it, you know a terrible defender. It looks easier like, watching yeah. it for him to touch it. Like in my brain, I was like, back heel it away or something, but like kick as if he could yeah, just yeah. kick it up, but you know, it would have just went down as his own goal then, so either. Way. Yeah, he's, he's, he's saved his bacon a little yeah. bit. The second goal, then, I actually think this is equally as bad the first part of this because you mentioned this before, John. So it comes from a set piece and it's a crap set piece. The lad kicks it along the floor to the first man. And every time Liverpool did that, and our set piece taken in this game was a woeful, by the way. Mm-hmm. And every time we did it, there was a Wolves head first. Everything Wolves, we very rarely won any headers on this one. The lad under it so much, but Cunha is able to go and get it down, turn and pick a cross out. And I, it, with, uh, that's just very un-Andy Robertson-like, I think, to do that. Naby Keita, in the end, that realises, oh, shit, he's, I'm going to have to try and get there, and he, he can't get there by this point. It just seems very, very odd for Robbo. Why, why, why is he stopping? Because he's, he's right next to the lad, and the lad's running away from goal. And Robbo backs off to give him the time to yeah, turn. And and it's, get it's almost as if he thought, well, if I stand in the right position, guarding the goal, then that's enough. Yeah. You know, which is um, it's just bizarre. It's, yeah, it's bizarre. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. unexplainable, really, Abby. That's, that's the problem, is it? They're all making these decisions, and one or two a game, you know, players always make silly mistakes. That's just that's football. They're not robots, they're human beings. But ev- if it almost feels like every path that Liverpool player gets to is like, do I a go to the ball or be every time they get to a path? It feels, yeah. like, it feels like they're making the wrong the decisions. The shells of themselves. They're making the wrong decisions. They are. They're making yeah. the wrong decisions. I mean, it's it's summed up by Allison coming for the cross mm. and Gomez heading it away. I mean, where's the communication? Yeah. Did he did he shout or and it was ignored or did he not shout at all? I mean, that's basic stuff, isn't it? It is. You know? And not only that, it's a fucking crap header, Abby, as well. Yeah. yeah. That's the problem with it. Like, if, you're gonna, if, you, if you take ownership and you think, you know what, I'm the centre-half, there's a ball coming out my head, I'm, only, I'm not leaving it to the goalie, I'm not doing anything, I'm going to deal with this, it's got to go. Yeah. It can't be nodded down to a lad on the six-yard. Like, exactly. It's like Neil Mellor's header to um, Gerard, he just nodded it down. Look, well, look, he headed it together. back into the middle. Yeah. You taught as a kid never to do that. Well, it can't go there. It's, it's, it's a shock, another shocking decision. I know, it is. It just, it just feels like we don't know the basics anymore. And I'll say it again, what is going on at the AXA training ground for them to think that like that's defending? It, it, it's just painful. Like It's beyond belief to think that this time a year ago, we could have won all four trophies. Now I'm sat here saying, like, drop these players. Like, I'm not going to start naming names, but there's quite a few players now that I think just drop them. Like, we need we need a whole new midfield, in my opinion. We probably need some new defence. And then when you look up front, some of those that Nunes missed, it's painful. Like, <laughs> I, I'm giving Gakpo yeah. time, obviously. I mean, I think I've said that about Nunes at the start of the season, but give Gakpo time. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to criticise him. But Salah got the money that he wanted... And now he's just not performing at all. And I know I know he wants to win trophies and stuff like that, but he doesn't look as frustrated as he used to. Now he just looks deflated. It's sad, I, I feel a bit sorry for the forwards because mm. they're certainly not getting this kind of support they yeah. need. And we're not bombarding teams and cutting them open like we used that to. That service from you Trent know. and Robbo yeah. is just not happening anymore, no. is it? So. We'll, yeah, we'll talk about the attack shortly because there's a lot to speak about. You're yeah. On Gomez, John, he looks like a player, we've said this before, he, he struggles to recover from a mistake. 
if he if he makes if he has a little bit of an, an early goal goes in against you or he makes it he has he's culpable for a goal or he makes half an error, he's one of those who really struggles to get it out of his head. That's how I've always thought that about him. You can tell what type of Joe Gomez game you're going to get within ten minutes. Yeah. Like City at home, and you know after he's on it today. Napoli away is the, the oh my god, he's he's a shambles. It feels like now that. You don't even need. You don't even need the first mistake before he's. He's. He already looks quite panicky from from the I minute. I feel on. a bit sorry for him because I think he tends to to be the guy who firefights. He's always the guy who's chasing other people down. He's got the pace which Matip probably doesn't have. You know, and if Robbo makes a mistake, Gomez has got to go out and cover it. If Matip makes a mistake, he's got to go out there. You know, if there were games he's played and he's looked awful when he's been covering for Trent. You know, I, I do feel a bit sorry for him. Um, you know, I think he's a very, very good defender um, who, like the rest of them, is just going through the worst nightmare you yeah. could possibly get we, into. We know what they're all capable of, these players. Do you know yeah. what I mean? They were, I was literally calling them all world-class less than a year ago, so I just don't understand where this big drop-off's come from. Like, is it disruption between the group? Um, is it what? Because I've always been so proud of the team, being so cohesive and, like, not in love, but you know what I mean? So... Just a team, like even with Klopp, and it, that's just that just doesn't seem to be there anymore. It just doesn't seem that anyone seems to, I don't know, know each other the way they're playing. You, you wonder uh, again what kind of effect change in the centre backs is having on them because yeah. they never seem to play with the same partner from week to week. Mm. Them, on the on the matter thing then, because bear in mind it could have been three nil not long after we have a like he, he literally falls asleep. He, did, he yeah, falls he asleep. Yeah, and he did have an absolute shocker, didn't he? Yeah. I mean, he hasn't been great for a while. Um, but now he's a liability. Yeah, he is, is it not Phillips time? Well, that's what I was thinking just then when we were talking about it, because you know he sort of well he didn't save the season, but you know we managed to finish third the season that we did play him. I mean, I would. I mean, what have we got to lose at this point? Is what I think. But yeah, I mean, I don't like Nat Phillips. I never have done. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't really think he's he's of high quality. But at the moment. I think players need to be sold. Well, you're not good enough either, so out you go. If anything, so, it's, yeah, as a kick up the arse. Then, but also, what, what I always think about him, I'm, I'm kind of with you. On the, I'm kind of in, in between, probably. But what I would say from him, John, what he lacks in like technical ability and and you know that all that kind of stuff. He do, he, he, he he's committed, and he very rarely. He doesn't shake, and he and he knows kind of where to, he puts he his head in the way. Does, yeah. He, he, yeah. He's he's not he's not gonna run out with the ball like Joel yeah. Matip can or whatever. He's, he can't do that, but he'll edit and he'll kick it and he'll block it and he'll tackle you. And at the moment, Jürgen said this in a few press conferences, Liverpool don't win enough challenges. Like it might just be worth getting like, for the derby, just go right, Nat Phillips is in, James Milner's in. Just lads who you, who you, who you think, you know what, worst case is, they might just boot someone or win people a challenge. Are, or people who are honest and give you 100% every time, regardless of you know where they're at in terms of ability. You know, I mean, people moan about James Milner all the time, but you never see him not give a shift when he comes on. Yeah, that's, that's the problem. True. At the minute, is that it, it, it does feel a little bit because again, you can get beat and get me fan. It does look like there's a, a lot of players on the pitch for, for whatever reason who are just phoning, phoning in a little bit. The running starts to weigh down. Everything's down. It, it does look like there's a couple of lads who just aren't taking responsibility for their own yeah. personal performance. And you, if you've got five, three, four, five of those, you've got no chance. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ready to pop the question? 
The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Right then, yeah, let's never speak again. Be by wolves again until we play them in about three weeks' time or whatever it is. Yeah, absolute groundhog day playing them. But yeah, again, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Right then, moving on to the biased football podcast. Yeah, that is the show where we look at what's going on in the wider football league. Um, Times take our Liverpoolness away from it. Although we do look at things with our red tinted glasses. Obviously, this week it was me, Chris, Chloe, and Steve Plunk talking about Man City being charged by the Premier League. hundred charges, shock horror when it comes to their financial irregularities. Alleged, alleged. I must say that so I don't get sued. But yeah, here's what we have to say about City and all that madness. Really, this morning Manchester City were charged by the Premier League. So obviously that has taken precedent. Uh, for those of you who are unaware, maybe you live under a rock and haven't heard it by now. But and Nick Harris, who, who always he's very good. Nick Harris, he's at Sporting, Sporting Intel. At Sporting Intel, he turns all this gobbledygook and puts it into English. So the allegations in his, in, as he says it, Man City have cooked the books for years, made inappropriate managing pl- player payments, dodged the FFP, didn't cooperate with the Premier League investigation. That's what he said. Um, Chris, shock horror. Yeah, really surprised. I'm actually surprised. I actually am surprised that it, the, the Premier League have actually done something about it. I mean, has it been like three and a half years? Four. A four-year investigation, Four. and they're still not finished. Man. By the way, these bits it's worth noting: these breaches are from 2010 to 2017. The the post that period is still under investigation. So, well, they the, can't really they can't really look at post 2018 because they asked Man City for evidence, and City just refused to give them it. Which is they? why they, that's, that's what, they would have been charged for up to these points. There's still yeah. there's still a fair investigation to go upon. So yeah, there's a lot going on, but yeah. It's mental, really, isn't it? I mean, I'm glad that somebody's doing something about it, and I'm glad there's no sort of time scale where they can't look back with the Premier League as opposed to UEFA, where it was like, well, it was too far ago, too long ago. Time so barred, yeah. time barred, yeah. So I'm, I'm glad that that's the case. It's good, isn't it, that you know you finally see somebody actually do something and back their own rules and stuff like that because for too long they've gotten away with it. Now, even if it just means in the best case for Manchester City, probably worst case for everybody else, they just have to stop doing it. Now, that's at least levelling the playing field in some way. The damage, unfortunately, will have already been done. That's my concern, isn't it? So, But you can't, that, that's the way it goes sometimes. You, yeah, that's yeah, the one, yeah. he's, Nick's also wrote here, Nick, I can bring this up on the screen, actually, if Adam kind of says, as for sanctions, if they're found guilty, it really could be anything from a huge fine to a transfer ban, spending limits, dock points, strip titles. City are going to lawyer up again, of course. Their legal obfuscation, oh, I don't know what that means, I apologise, is why this is taking four years. Yeah, basically, City have, have been lawyering up for the last four years, so that's probably why it's slowed down, Chloe. Like I say, none of us are shocked. I think Jamie Carragher's tweeted, what, they don't City have uh, the best, more commercial revenue than yeah. the Real Madrid? Everyone knows this has been going on. 
and they got away with it last time on a technicality with UEFA because the time stamp thing on it. The, I suppose, like what Chris has said, I, I'm in that boat of you are. The only surprise is that they've actually bothered to care. Like someone's actually done something about it because everyone's known this has been happening for so, so long. Yeah. No one's fucking stupid. But like they've actually, you know, they haven't gotten away with it or they might not have got away with it. Who knows what, what's going to come of it? But they've at least been charged. The, effort, the Premier League are trying to do something because for so long, we've all accused everyone of just turning the blind eye. We all knew. But everyone's been like, nah, don't talk about it. It's like the unwritten thing, the unspoken taboo yeah. subject. And yeah, to be fair, they've actually done something about it. Yeah, it, it was a case of four years. You can't just turn around and say, are they, are they actually doing anything? But when you realise oh, over 100 breaches, okay, well, this isn't something that you can take lightly. They've had to really spend their time getting into this to make sure that they don't falsely accuse anything and that they've got a real background for this to, you know, stand up and, and you know, be actually taken serious um the thing that gets to me though is that like and obviously i've mentioned it earlier if if they're not getting stripped titles and i'm not even bothered if the title goes to liverpool or whoever but like if you're letting them just have to keep the titles oh and we're gonna you know dock 15 points of your next next season I, i can't be bothered with that though at the same time because like that, over a hundred and something breaches, guys, for only docked points. They should be stripped of every single title they've won in that, you know, no matter what it was in English football, they should be docked of every single title, stripped of it. Why? Because look at what they've done to get there. And also what I really need is all those clubs who've been relegated, who've missed out on top four, this, this and that, I need just to all come forward and I need just to want compensation for something so that it gets taken even further. Because even though I'm sat here and it looks and it sounds terrific, there's something in me that says they'll get off lightly with that because it's Manchester City. My only hope here is that, you know, the Premier League, it is the Premier League that have done this, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. The Premier League have spent so long making sure that their case is watertight yeah. because I think they'll have seen while they've been doing this investigation the way that, you know, UEFA got played by Manchester City. So they've got to they've got to be squeaky clean and absolutely everything mm. if they're taking these charges. And, you know, there's a line, wasn't there, you know, from the wire, if you come at the king, you better not miss. Like, that's what the Premier League have basically got to do. Doing this. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. I think they've got to have done that. What would be really nice to further Chloe's point, which I think was spot on, is if the FA got involved and started looking at the cup competitions yeah. as well. Because right now it's just the Premier League thing. And that's fine, but they've won how many trophies? Loads. In the, they've won how many Carabaos and yeah. FA Cups have they won in yeah, that time as well? It means nothing for you, for them, for won that, so it doesn't matter. But yeah. you're right, they, they, they don't, they don't have to worry about them. But I suppose there's a couple of things I'll I, I bring to you on. First of all, this from Miguel Delaney. Uh, says, the figures involved don't seem to think any prospective punishments would be retrospective or looking backwards like stripping titles. But this is all unprecedented. That was stage number one, Steve. And then the second one, of course, which I think is really, really important, and I'll bring that up now, is the the difference between the UEFA and the Premier League, that these breaches can't be time-barred, no restrictions on time, on length of time since the alleged offences. That's how they got off with the FFP yeah. City, the Champions League one. They got, they got banned and they were back in because basically... It took too long for the charges. They were found pretty much banged to right. It just happened so long ago. There's no difference in this. The prem and that's that. That's the next step. Is that this can take as long as it takes. They can't if you, you know. Like, it's a bit like what's it called? Um, filibustering in, in Parliament. You just talk and talk and talk, and then eventually you run out of time and you can't vote on it. So they, they can slow it down as much as they want. A judgment will be made on this. Yeah. It can't. It, they can't do nothing about it. Whether it takes a year, it takes five, whatever it takes, there will be a judgment made. And listen, they might get away with all hundred breaches. 
they might do, who knows? They might, they might, they've said themselves, and I'll read their statement later. But that's a crucial thing here, really. This can't be tied up in red tape. At some point, it's coming down the tracks, and they're going to have to deal with whatever comes. Imagine putting a dossier that's taken four years together, four years to get your case. <coughs> no stone's been left unturned, has it? So, so it's good to see they'll do something about it. This is a precedent time, isn't it? It is the first, first thing of its type. Is an opportunity to squash it once and for all. And to do that, you have to make examples of people. So I'm all for them making an example of, of Manchester City, to be fair. And the final thing, and the thing that I like probably more than anything, is any ruling that's made against them cannot be appealed in the sport arbitration yep. court of sport. That's it. Once they make that decision, it's in the rules and regulations of the league. They have to accept it. So I hope the FA grow up the here. league, not yeah. like FA, I suppose, maybe. Yeah. Uh, I hope that the Premier League grow up here and they, they, they really, really go to town with this because, like Chloe says, there's teams that have been relegated that might have lost on the last day of the season to a... Manchester City team that gained an unfair advantage because of the way they operated as a business. I think we can say that now because the charges are out there that, you know, we had a look through them, didn't we, when they came out and, and a lot of the clauses are E-related clauses and that's finance and governance and you're in a lot of trouble when you start breaching finance and governance and those are the ones that need to be looked at to the nth degree to make sure that everything is spot on before you accuse people. You're quite right in that regard. So this is a massive opportunity for the, for the Premier League to say, we've got a massive fish on the end of the line here and we need to make this one count. There's, there's, a, there's a thing to say as well, and I'll talk about the punishments in a minute, but like, the Premier League haven't forgot the Super League stuff and we were part of it. Don't get me wrong, we are not in the, we're not innocent in this, but the Premier League... It felt like they'd lost all types of control and authority, and it was basically the lunatics were running the asylum. And they can't, they, they got a bit of the, with the super, they actually got a bit back with the Super League when all the other clubs were like, Well, these can fuck off then. If these want to go, they, they want, and they did, they showed a bit of power. And this is them again, it's another chance for them to show even more power. We do, the, the lunatics do not run the asylum, we are in charge, it is our league. This is why that's why I'm with, I'm with still Steve says before, and what you said, they, they have to be right. There's no way they bring this this far and do charges and everything. They must think they or must be pretty confident they've got a watertight case, especially with the fact that there's no CAS appeals. They know we they've got one chance one chance at this. This is our chance to show that we are, you can't you can't you know you can't bully us. We're the bosses. You aren't. And they, they, they need, that's yeah, why I mean, it, look, listen. There might be ways for Manchester City to get out of a couple of the charges, but to get out of all the one hundred of them, that's unlikely. Isn't it now? Yeah, I think yeah, you know yeah. you might be able to get a couple off here and there and all that type of stuff, but a hundred different charges of financial irregularities seems absolutely baffling, doesn't it? And you know, when there is clear evidence, I think probably the uh, the Premier League have got of them trying to divert funds to different companies, which is looks like you know, the way Mancini was paid is obviously in there and all that type of stuff. And you know, there is a lot of stuff there where you are doing this to hide it. You signed up to be in the Premier League. You signed up to the new FFP regulations. This was part and parcel of you showcasing how you paid every one mm. of your members of staff, and we found evidence to the contrary. So this is something that you've done, and it's not an accident, like in the way that Red Bull got done by the F1, where they go, oh, we didn't realise you could do it like that with the new cost cap, and we were actually only over a million over the cost cap and all that type of stuff. Um, this is 
you signed up for this and you were actively trying to avoid us and we found the evidence of you trying to avoid us. So it looks good for every other team in the Premier League right now. Yeah, obviously that isn't the last we're going to hear on that story, of course. So yeah, we'll keep talking about it on the Bias Football Podcast as and when it's relevant. But yeah, do go and check that show out. It's basically our way of looking at everyone else and either laughing at them, which is hard at the moment, or maybe giving them some begrudging respect, I suppose. But yeah, that is available right now as well on Plus. Right then, moving on, expert inside time. Dan Club and Matt Addison. So yeah, they spoke about all the young prospects at Liverpool, all the young lads, how they're doing, how the academy's getting on. Matt's got a real good grasp on all that kind of stuff. That's his job to cover it. So yeah, here's a clip from Expert Insight with Dan and Matt. Yeah, we're going to some more individual players now. And I want to start, Matt, if I can, with um, Kay Gordon, because he kind of burst onto the scene a little bit. It was a sign-in, obviously, from Derby. And I think we all got very excited by him at one point. We see, I think he starts the Cardiff game. We all think, oh, this is the one. Injuries seem to have curtailed his development a little bit. I think that's fair to say. Where's he at now in terms of his Liverpool career? Because, like I say, we all got very excited. But it feels like Ben Doak and possibly one or two others have kind of overtaken him. What's going on with him, would you say? For him, it's it's purely a, an injury thing. He's been out for, for a long time now. I think you've, you've heard it with a few of these players in that age group where it's around sort of growing pains and, and mm. just sort of natural things which happen when you're, you're that age and, yeah. and you're trying to be, become that next step in terms of, of being an athlete. And I think he's, you know, he's, he's getting closer to a return, quite how close, I'm, I'm not sure. He's definitely been out running at the AXA Centre. He's been... Uh, on the, the Dubai trip in, in the, the winter to, to just stay involved with the first team. And he's okay. definitely, he's 100% one that I would have an eye on for the future. It's just a case really of how quickly he can get over these little injury problems. He's, he's not played football since I think last April. Right. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, it's a really time. long time. It's, mm. it's a really, really important part of, of your development as well to, to, to miss that much football yeah. at this crucial time of his career. It's easy to forget that he started away at Arsenal last season in the, the Carabao Cup semi-final. He would have played, I think, a lot more had he not got injured. He would have had, mm. you know, further opportunities. You think of the, the Southampton game, for example, when Liverpool make, you know, so many changes at the back end of, of last season. I'm sure yeah. he would have been involved in in some way in that. And you know, going into to this season as well, I'm sure he could have been an option. I think it's easy, isn't it, to, to kind of get carried away and then forget about these players. I think Liverpool are a lot more kind of longer term with it. I think he's. 100% one of the most exciting players in the country of his age. Mm-hmm. He's very much in that bracket of, you know, a Ben Doak or a Ramsey or a Bobby Clark of Liverpool have, have picked him out for, for really, really a good reason. They've, they've done a lot of work to, to scout yeah. him and get him in. They've got the, the pathway there. It's just a case of can he get over those injuries? If he can, I'm really excited about him. I think he's he's a fantastic footballer. He's He's just so so typical, really, of what Liverpool look for. He's very fast. He's very direct. He scores a lot of goals. He gets in the right positions. I think for for him and for Ben Doak, there's there's a massive opportunity really moving forwards. It's yeah, just a case of can you get that little bit of luck? And I think that's one of the things that we do forget sometimes with these young players is that you know there's there's a large element of luck if you make it as a, a Liverpool footballer. You think of of Trent, for example, that the opportunity was there at right back. He happened to have become a right back just at, at the perfect time, and yeah. obviously that's partly by design, of course. They, they spotted a bit of an opportunity for him, but. Yeah, if, if he can get over his injury problems and if he can kind of get a bit of consistency, mm-hmm. it's going to take a little bit of time, I think, after so long out to, to get back to that full sharpness. But yeah, don't forget about him. He's definitely, definitely one for the future. No, I'm glad I'm glad to hear you say that, to be honest with you, because like I say, I think we all 
felt like we had something really special there. And I think everyone was excited to see what happened next with him and watch him develop. And then it is just unfortunate, clearly, that he gets the injury. And I didn't realise it had been so long. It didn't feel like it had been last April. That's a that's a hell of a long time. We're coming on to a year. Obviously, that's a seriously long period of time out. And I think I actually wrote down here, forgotten player. And I think he was starting to get forgotten a little bit. But that's partly due to his absence, obviously partly due to Ben Doak's emergence if you like I'd say as well but it's it's positive to hear you say he's clearly highly regarded by the staff at Liverpool and hopefully like you say he can get back fit and get sort of back on the right path again um, but we have got to talk about Ben Doak because probably outside of Bajetic and in many for many people he might be the most exciting one of the lot because He's just got no fear, has he? He's got absolutely no fear. We had Jay Spear in him recently. He's obviously doing quite a lot of coaching with the unders. Um, and he said he spoke to him. He was just like, he could just tell straight away, just a full of confidence lad. And I think Jurgen Klopp kind of called him into a senior trainer. And Jay Spear kind of went, I feel like yeah, that we won't be seeing you again. That's that you gone sort of thing. Um, I wrote down here, Matt, breaking into the attacking cartel. That's a really difficult thing to do at Liverpool when it comes to senior level. We've got so many options. Is this lad capable of doing so? Yes, 100%. He's, he's definitely capable. And I think we we knew that when he came. He'd already played a couple of times for, for Celtic's yes. first team and they were they were gutted to, to lose him. He's, he's such such a good player. And I think he's he's one of those that I don't want to make comparisons because people instantly sort of go, oh, he's the next whoever. But there's, there's certain players, shall we say, that you'd look at of, you know, over the last couple of, of decades, really, that you just know have got it in them to play yes. senior football. You think mm-hmm. of the kind of physicality that he's got, the, the stature that he's got at such a young age. He, he already looks like he could go and, and comfortably go and play for a championship club. And I think I do wonder whether that is the next step for him next season. Mm-hmm. We've seen, you know, obviously you've got to get that low move right. You saw what Harvey Elliott did at, at yeah, Blackburn. Perfect club, the perfect setup, the perfect opportunity for him to take the next step. And he he really, really did that and, and came back ready to go. Liverpool don't always do that with these young players. They have been a little bit reluctant, say with Curtis Jones, didn't want to, to send him out. But I do wonder with Ben Doak, it, it might be slightly too soon for him to, to sort of play a, a regular role next season for, yeah. for Liverpool on that right-hand side. You think of, you know, Mohamed Salah pretty much is going to play every game. It's, it's not so easy to, to play there. I think... I mean, he probably could play the other positions as well, but generally tends to, to play off the right. And I think that's mm-hmm. probably where he's, he's best and he's most comfortable. Yeah. But yeah, there's there's a huge, huge talent there for, for Liverpool to, to unearth. I think he is, he, he's nailed on to play top level football, whether that's for, for Liverpool or, or maybe just below. I think there's, there's pretty much as, as close as you can be to a guarantee with a young player. Obviously the injuries and, and all of that sort of thing. Mm. He's, he's such, such a good talent. And, yeah, it, 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 it's really interesting that the Kate Gordon comparison. I remember Pep Linder said when the, when Kate Gordon first came in, you know, he rang Jurgen Klopp and said that, you know, we've we've got a real talent here. And what you said there about Jay Spearing with the the same sort of, of thing with with Ben, I think yeah. they're both in that kind of category really, where you, you just you're excited to see what they become. What what they already are is is really exciting. But when you mm-hmm. put them into a, a senior setup, you let them work with Jurgen Klopp and his staff. I think it's it's really exciting to see what Liverpool do with them. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think we're all sort of eagerly anticipating what could be with Ben Doak. Because like I say, we've seen glimpses of him already and he's just got absolutely, without a care in the world. Like he, I, I described him, I spoke to Ian Doyle actually about last week um, and we spoke about Ben Doak and he sort of referenced the fact he could even go, he could have gone on loan rather during the January transfer window had Liverpool so decided. Um, and I think it's a really good point you make about next season. There's definitely a possibility there because... 
like I said, we are well stocked. Whatever you think about Liverpool at senior level right now, we are well stocked when it comes to attackers. Um, and Salah obviously has the monopoly over that right wing role. And I think we forget how young Ben Doak is still. Like he, he's not even 17 yet, I think I'm right in saying. If he is, he's just 17. So frightening, frightening talent. So I think a low move could be really, really smart for him. But yeah, it'd be interesting to see what happens next. Um, another player who Ian actually mentioned could also potentially head out on loan was Bobby Clark. Um, another player we have seen glimpses of at senior level. <laughs> really promising player, I think. Um, what do you make of him so far? Because he's obviously only joined the club, I think, last summer from Newcastle. What have you made of his start at Liverpool? Yeah, um, the, the year before, I think it was. I know, I, yeah, again, he's one that, that Newcastle is was really, really good to, to lose him. He's, he's a local lad. He's obviously the, the son of, of one of their legends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just, it, it was a brilliant, brilliant get, really, from Liverpool to, to get him out of Newcastle just at that time, just before the takeover, yeah. just before things start to look good for Newcastle again. It, yeah. it was the perfect time to, to nick him, really. I think he's one of those players, again, that I just I, I just love watching. He's the perfect player. If you had to describe a player that, that I, I would just love to, to watch, I think he's he's that kind of midfielder where he'll do the little one-twos, the, the little nutmegs, at, at least once every game, he'll stick it through someone's legs and, and try and beat them that way. He's nice. just... He's just a really, really tidy footballer in the middle of the pitch. And I think, you know, we, we saw the, the pass, I think it was into Darwin Nunez during the, yeah. the Dubai tour, the, the pass, that Lovely. that sort of vision, the, the, the confidence to, to do that as well, I think is is a really, really good thing. He's, he's kind of got the the arrogance, if you like, in terms of sort of almost similar to what Curtis Jones had really at that kind of level where, he just he knew he was capable and he'd try things and if it didn't work it didn't matter you you know you'd, you'd do something else and, and try mm-hmm. something else and just see what happened and, and nine times out of ten it comes off for him so yeah he's he's another one that I think is is really promising he's another one though that I think is he's a little bit interesting in terms of I wonder how he fits into this Liverpool team there's okay. a lot of conversations around the midfield you know can he play as an eight would he have to play a little bit further forwards there's there's a lot to kind of work out, I think, for, for Liverpool over the next couple of seasons in terms mm. of, of what that midfield looks like. But yeah, he, he's probably more in the the Cavalio, Elliot, maybe Curtis Jones in in an ideal world would play a little bit further forward, a little mm. bit more freedom, that kind of thing. I think he's okay. he's a really really talented player. But yeah, he's he's another one really that if he doesn't make it at Liverpool, I think there's there's there's, there's pretty certain going to be you know a Premier League club or you know a top level club somewhere that will will look at him because yeah he's he's got he's got a lot of of what you would want at, at that sort of age and yeah just just lots and lots and lots of talent and I know Newcastle were gutted and, and Liverpool were delighted to go and get him. Thanks to Dan and thanks to Matt. Right then, moving on. Obviously, the Merseyside derby is next week, isn't it? Yeah, it's coming thick and fast, unfortunately, maybe. I don't know. I'm a bit nervous about it. Ahead of the game, Steve Plunk for our opposition preview series sat down with Ped from Toffee TV to get the Everton view on what's going on there with Sean Dyche's mighty blue boys, as they now are, of course. They won a game of footy, didn't they? So, yeah, here is Oppo preview with Steve and with Ped. So, into the game then. I just want to get your thoughts on how you see Everton will shape up. Um, and if Dominic Calvert-Lewin doesn't, I was going to ask you if he doesn't make it, how you change the tactics, but you've already answered that, so that was good. <laughs> um, so what 11 are you going to go with? I think it'll be the same 11 that started against Arsenal. I can't see any changes. I think what was so good about that that setup and certainly the three midfielders is that there's a lot of sort of different permutations within the three start midfield. That was the first time we played that three midfield. So the Corey, Garner and Onana. Um, I think what the Corey gives you is he can almost he can play as a second striker, 
but then he can also drop in and play as uh, someone who sits in front of the back four. And I think what happened on Saturday is the three took an in turn. Yeah. Garner was back to the the Garner we saw before he left to go to PSG. He's not been like that. Where he almost just appears behind people and nicks the ball off them. We've not seen that. And then that freedom was given by having the other two. Onana is really, really shaping up to be a top-class yeah. player. Top-class clubs are already he looking, gonna, at him. He, looking at him already. He ain't going to be at Everton for... I'm hoping next season he'll still be at Everton, but I really don't see him being at Everton uh, past that. And that's just being realistic. And that that that's that's me thinking, like, we have to be looking for the next owner now. Or that, do you know what I mean? That's, that's what Everton have got to start thinking. Like, you can't hold on to those players. And since the World Cup, since he come back from the World Cup, and obviously he went to the World Cup, he's looked like he's put all the bits together. Whereas before that, he he was there was a little bit of him, you know, a little bit good in this game, a little bit good in that game, but he wasn't quite putting it together. He looked like he didn't, you know, he wasn't quite up to speed. You get, you know, understand? He hadn't played a lot of games in France, by the way, when he when he was over there. But he looks like he's put it all together. And you know yourself when you watch a player who's just come to the country. At some point, it just clicks, yeah. and then you go, "Wow, that he looks like a different player now." But they know it's clicked as well. I think that's more important that the confidence that they understand, they understand the the pace of the game, the physicality of the game, and all the little things like what you can can't do, what what's going to be a foul, what's not going to be a foul, what you can get away with. I think he's starting to understand that now. So you've got his confidence in there. He's got his his size, his, his yeah. strength. He's he this he's. he's Brilliant on the slide tackle as well. So you think people are getting away from him. And also on Saturday, for the first time, striding with the ball. He's got a the size of him, he's got a little bit of Patrick Vieira about him, just in when you watch him and yeah, the way he the way runs moves, with the ball, the way he, moves, the way yeah. he moves, yeah. moves like with that long stride. And I, I really think that he could be a really important player in the second half of the season. So those three are, are in there. Um they they can create a defensive shape or they can create an offensive shape. Uh, you'll have, I imagine, McNeil starting again on the left, because um, obviously we sold Gordon, which to us isn't. We don't think it's a great loss, honestly. Um, you've got Gray on the bench, who is he is that player where you go, oh, he can do anything, yeah, he can. but then he can do nothing yeah, yeah. though for games. So I think at the moment, you the manager will be looking at going, I need players I can rely on, I need players I can I can um, get me through this. But the flip side of that is. The problem and the problem with that is you're not trusting your bench then. And that'll be the key part of it. Of we made one sub on Saturday, and that's because it was forced. Lampard suffered with this as well. He looked he used to look to his bench and go, There's nothing there, or can I trust him to go into that position? And I think that's gonna be that could be key in this game of late on if it's tight. We saw it last season at Anfield where it was nil-nil till yeah. till probably 60, 70 minutes. If you can look to your bench and you've got that one little change, yeah. we can't Spark. do yeah, we can't do that. And when you've got Dominic Carvalhoon, as I've said, it that's the worrying part for Everton for, for the rest of the season. It's interesting you went with that lineup, and I thought you would, because you've got a midfield presence mm. and that's really important in modern football. I think Liverpool have bypassed the midfield a fair bit and Monday night. I don't mm. think we can afford to go toe-to-toe physically with those guys, you know. Naby Keita presses as well as anybody, but sometimes doesn't read the game plan. Mm. Thiago looks a bit out of sorts at the moment. He's forcing his passes into people's feet and not mm. getting there. And then we've got the young lad, Bessetic, who really looks like he could be one for the future, but mm. realistically is one for the future. Yeah. But because Fabinho has fell off a cliff, he's playing now. Mm. Um, 
I think we'll probably try and draw you on a little bit and play a little bit deeper and try and counter in behind you, especially if Seamus Coleman plays. Yeah, and, that's that's the thing. Yeah. yeah. So so I think it's it's interesting you went with that, and I I think you should because we're not great against set pieces at the moment, mm. and you've got big bodies in and around. Yeah, we've there. improved re recently. Yeah. Um, so in, in that regard, I think Liverpool will go with Alisson, uh, Alexander Arnold. We'll go with Matip and Gomez again. There's been some talk about whether uh, Nat Phillips comes in because Matip's performance last time was something to mm. be concerned about, <laughs> in the sense that he would relish a, a shoulder-to-shoulder battle with Dominic Calvert-Lewin mm. because he's a physical player. They both are. Be a good battle to see. Andy Robbo on the left-hand side. The midfield will stay the same. Thiago, Setic, and Keita because that right now is our best midfield. Yeah, and and that's a concern. Yeah, and then up front we'll go Nunes, Gakpo. And Salah. I think for us, the key thing for us, and I'll talk to you about where you see you guys winning the game, the key thing for us is that pace in transition. Mm. If we can draw you on and we can deal with your set pieces mm. and get the ball down and get it into Trent's feet, he can launch counter-attacks mm. from defensive positions, which is what we've seen a lot, West Ham, Arsenal, Man United, mm. all games that, that even Alisson's assisted in that regard. Where do you see Everton winning the game? Uh, it's really hard to say because obviously we're only having one game under him. Um, set pieces will be a big thing. That was starting to change under Frank Lampard. I think we'd scored, I think we've scored uh, set pieces goal in the last three games at home. So that would be a big thing. It's hard, but we did create chance against Arsenal. So again, it's I think what it'll be is us trying to nick the ball high, and you you know with Onana and, and and with and with the Corey. And then getting the ball. That's mad because we built a we built a successful football team on doing exactly that. But our press is. Well, by the way, this is not like something I've been. We've been. No. Uh, this is a new thing. This is. I've only got evidence from one game. And this is why it's so so weird sitting here and trying to work this all out. But by the evidence, we there is a little bit of energy in there, and it's weird that like it's, again, it's that thing, isn't it? Like I said, it's death by a thousand cuts. Sometimes you don't notice what's broken. So a Wobie, so us, we've looked them all season gone. Well, he's our most creative player. He's created the most opportunities. And the first thing the manager does is go, no, mate, you're, you're going wide because actually this is the way the game's won and lost in midfield. And I don't want a team that sits on the edge of its box and defends like mad because when you defend like that, you're all, you only need a nick, deflection, whatever, goalie making a mistake, whatever it is, or you get a worldie like we saw like Thielman score against us. Teams are capable of doing that. So I think it will be us trying to just win the ball high, get it wide, and then get men into the box and see if we can overload you that way. Um, I don't think, you know, obviously we're not going to be as brave as we were at Goodison Park against Arsenal, but then there's still a big opportunity there because you do look fragile at the moment. And it, sometimes it can be that thing of like, do we do we sit back and soak it up? Or actually, do we catch them early and go, no, no. And, and you look a little bit sheltered because going into this game, listen, if you said this last week to me, I'd be sitting here going, oh, well, you know, to me, it's a derby. But, you know, you've you looked so fragile. Yeah. I'm certainly away from home anyway. And I know it doesn't always translate to, to, to Anfield. But we've got to... We've got to flip it round and say, actually, the pressure's on you in this game. Pressure's off. We won last week. You know, a lot of us would have sat there going, oh, we could get a point against Arsenal and get a point at Anfield. Wow, that'd be amazing. But we've already took three. So to us, if we can have a good performance in this game and give us the building blocks that go on for the games coming up, which are the likes of Leeds at home and Villa at home, and they're going to be the big important ones, really, in our battle, then that takes the pressure off a little bit. And that, that's what creates a, a very unique scenario for this game. It's interesting because it's kind of like talking to a Liverpool fan when Klopp first started about mm. all the things you're trying to do. And we were talking about it upstairs. Since teams have 
decided not to park the bus and they've come out and engaged us. Mm. They found a fragility in the midfield. Mm. So if, if you're sitting on the edge of your box, your two lines are four and you say to Liverpool, go and then break us down, yeah. a la Real Madrid yeah. European Cup final, which is what they did for the last 20 minutes. Those players look brilliant because all they're doing is passing the ball to each other and recycling the ball and trying to engineer openings. When you get out and stand on their toes, you mm. find out what they're all about. And I think certain teams have looked at Liverpool and thought, mm. go and engage their midfield. And, and that's we, we've struggled with that all season and that would be my concern going into this game. Yeah, because Liverpool's... One of the big things don't have, Liverpool have had going for them in the last couple of seasons is even when they've been, you've been uh, maybe at a weak point, is, is the aura of Liverpool. Yeah. And actually, and you see this with City occasionally as well, when some teams just go, go on to lose here today. If we sit back, these are going to give us a hiding. But if we have a go at them, then who knows? And I think it might be the same. That's what you're going through at the moment. It's that thing of like, people have just cottoned. Someone's just gone, these these aren't that good. You know, look, look, don't play the team. Look at, look at, look at all the problems these have got on, you know, the, with injuries and everything. Play that side. Don't play, you know, the Liverpool aura. And I think that's that's a big thing. And and listen, I'm not going to talk in that fashion because I've seen this many said that a million times. I've yeah. gone I've gone into it a million times, just maybe not a million times, but a, a couple of times as favourites. And it all unravels in front of you because people get ahead of themselves. Mm. And they go, "Oh, we've got this and we've got that." It's like, I, listen, if you if we'd had this conversation last week, I'd be on the floor now telling you now it, you were going to destroy us because the club is just on its ass. But one game can give you that little bit of hope, and mm. and I think the manager as well for like little things like Frank Lampard used to give you know days off, Mondays off, no matter what, because the talk was he liked staying in London with his family over the like for the weekend things like that. Sean Dyche after the game on Saturday went, yeah, we've won a game, but they're back to work on Monday, and that they'll be running all week in preparation for the Mayside derby. There's no you've won a game and yeah, here yeah. you go, is your day off, lads? It was like. Monday morning, these are getting it. These are he wants to drill them into, into exactly. organisational things. One game doesn't mean anything, and and you know we Everton have to get to forty points. And you know if you'd asked me that this time last week, I just laughed at you and said, "I'm preparing myself for the, for the drop." But now there's a little bit more enthusiasm because this manager just seems to know what he's doing. Cheers, lads, for that one. Yeah, we're looking forward to the derby, albeit. A bit nervous about it, but fingers crossed it's the perfect game for the Reds to get themselves back into some semblance of form. Right then, moving on, it's Jano Insight time. My favourite show, I say this every week, I love doing Jano Insight. Me and Neil get to chat all around loads and loads of loads of tasty topics. This week, obviously, you've probably seen Jürgen Klopp and James Pearce had a little bit of a bust-up in the, in the post-Wolves press conference. It wasn't really a bust-up, it was just Jürgen refusing actually to, to answer a question because James had written something apparently or whatever it was. Um, Neil Jones was in that press conference. He was sat pretty much one seat in front of James Pearce. So, yeah, I asked Neil, what's going on? What's the fallout been? All that kind of stuff. So, yeah, check out this clip from Jano Insight. It's a belter. It was just the reaction at Jürgen in the press conference. Obviously, he had a little bit of a dig at James Pearce, which he's done in the past. He had a little, he's, he's done occasionally, but he's not really been like that. He's usually quite civil. He's, he's openly admitted he doesn't really like press conferences. He literally said that in his interview with, recently with Mike Calvin, but... It was quite strange because I think it might have been mistaken identity. I'm not quite sure, but mm. was you was you was you there? Yeah, what, yeah. What, was the, what was the whole situation like? Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't great to be honest. Obviously, cards on the table. He's he's a good friend of mine, James. So yeah. you know you don't want to see that, especially. I mean, I I stayed clear of it because I stayed clear of it just generally. But the you know what the reaction is going to be like on social media, and you know there's going to be 
people reveling in it, you know, that kind of thing. But so I was in the front row of the press conference and James was, was literally behind me. He was a seat behind. So I, I, I didn't get to see the sort of the facial expressions, but I, I, I know obviously traveling back, you know, came as a huge surprise. Definitely came as a surprise to me. Can only imagine what it came as to James. I think it was, I think it was unnecessary from Jürgen, full stop. Uh, I think it was even more unnecessary the fact that, you know, it wasn't necessarily <laughs> his fault, James's fault. You know, it, it was more a build-up potentially of a few things. And I think, it, you know, he's, listen, Jürgen's entitled to defend his staff and defend, you know, certain aspects of the club that he feels have been attacked unfairly and, 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 and criticised and, you know, I've, I've light shone on them. But I don't, it didn't, it didn't strike the right tone with me, to be honest. It didn't feel like it was the right person or the right time or the right way to do it. Um, we've seen a few of them, haven't we? I think Carl Markham had one recently, didn't he? With, you know, I think he said something like, you know, you, you, you go to every press conference and you ask the same question. And I think there was one, one with someone from the BBC about wearing a face mask and just a few little bits. And listen, it's, it's happened. You know, I can remember him. I remember him at the season, sort of mid question, when I was asking him something about the World Cup, saying he hates. The, I hate this question, you know, straight away, and you know, they don't have a problem with that. I think this was maybe just a little bit further in terms of it invited a, a pile on that doesn't need to, and you know, it's it's not me, it's not it's not something that affects me, but I I I, I know I know how sort of these things can can go, so. <laughs> I suppose it says a bit about the, the performance of Liverpool, doesn't it, that it became sort of such a big talk? I actually, point, I, really. I actually think it was a relevant, it was a really good question. He was right. Yeah, well, he answered you know, it, didn't he? I mean, someone else asked the question straight away, and he answered it. And yeah, of course. And listen, it, it's not for James me. have asked anything, and he wouldn't have answered it. I think I, it, well, I got that impression. To yeah, be honest, yeah, yeah. I don't think I don't think he was reacting to the question. Yeah. You know, I think he was reacting to the, the questioner, and I think he was wrong to react to the questioner the way he did. So, you know, that's not. It's not for me to sort of discuss the ins and outs of why Jürgen did it and why blah 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 I, I know I know roughly why it happened but it's it's just I never think it's a good look for managers to, to do that kind of thing and I, you know that's not to say that the media should have carte blanche to do whatever they want and, and, and you know sort of no consequence but I don't think in this instance it was justified personally and yeah it was um it was it was an awkward an awkward sort of couple of minutes definitely in the uh, the Molyneux press room but Hopefully, all forgotten. Yeah. And uh, you know, I'd, I'd hope and I'd, I'd, I'd imagine that you know it won't be something that lingers. You know, I don't think I don't think I don't think that Jürgen will be that petty if you like to sort of hold a grudge in that way. I'd hope not, anyway. And listen, we've seen all loads of managers have done this. You know, we've Alex Ferguson famously will ban people from his press conferences. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, yeah, it, yeah. It, it isn't there. But again, it, again, this is my point of view. I'm, I don't know. I know. I obviously know James quite well. We've met Jürgen before, um, but it, it does feel a bit to me like. This could have been something that was just settled away from there. Like if you really want, if you really had yeah. a problem, it wouldn't be that hard to find James Pierce's phone number or just ask call him at every single Liverpool event ever. <laughs> if you know, if, you, if he was really that, it just felt like again, maybe it was the emotions because we've just been battered. Yeah, his team, his team are in a horrendous place right now, and then the first person he sees is someone who maybe he's got a little bit of a cob on her, and that's why it can escalate into these type, types of yeah, situations. Yeah, poss possibly that. I mean, listen, we, we we always forget that, don't we? You know, and, and you know, listen, you have to remember that. A lot, a lot of journalists sort of have are supporters in a way as well, and so that that they maybe would, you know, in the in the immediate aftermath of a, a great win or a bad defeat, would maybe ask something that's a little bit more heightened, you know, in in that sense. I know, I know, I've 
I've I've done it in the past where you know maybe not necessarily with Klopp, but I remember in the Brendan Rodgers era, sort of a few you know front row sort of asking a question almost like what's what's happening you know like sort of almost like that and you have to remember that if you're like that you know and 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 the people who are watching it like that imagine what they're like you know they just spend 90 minutes plus on the touchline sort of tearing their hair out or or you know on the other side enjoying every every minute of it so of course there's going to be emotions it was very quick as well you know i, I should point that out as well you know it felt i, I wouldn't I wouldn't know for definite, but it felt like it was sooner. That press conference after the final whistle, unusual, potentially usually be waiting like maybe half an hour. Felt like it was more 15, 20 minutes that one. So potentially as well, you know, there's been it, it was even more raw in, in in his mind. And also the other thing that you have to remember is the amount of interviews these managers do after the end of a game with BBC, Sky, you know, foreign TV rights holders and club TV, you know the radio there's so many of them and, and of course when you're in a situation like Liverpool you're being asked the same thing it's not you're not being asked to sort of wax lyrical about Andy Robertson or Virgil van Dijk or whoever you're being asked what's going on why, why is this happening you know what are the answers and you know I, I can understand why managers get a bit tetchy you know Jürgen's done it many times in the past I can remember him tearing a strip off a Sky reporter for asking about Dominic Calvert-Lewin's penalty, I think it was one. I remember him sort of saying, I'm not speaking to him anymore. You, you obviously know nothing about football. So he's not averse to this kind of thing. But yeah, like I say, I think on this instant, I just think he I think he picked a little bit of an unfair fight, if you want to call it that. Um, but all forgotten, you know, if it's, if that's the um, if that's the biggest news around the club this week, then... <laughs> At least there's been no more injuries. Yeah, because if, if you if you if you wanted to just put more, you could like, and I, I think Chris said this to me like, there's a on one of our like there's a, there's a method here where you know it isn't it isn't the worst diversion tactic in the world. Mm. To, to, you know, I mean, like if your team had been hammered three 0 like you know like Jose Mourinho they, we, would be famous for this. He, he just picks one out and oh no one's talking about the, the fact yeah. that your team got battered. I, I mean that press conference was after one of Liverpool's worst defeats in well since about two weeks ago, but in general like forever. It, it, that that's another thing where again everyone has come out of it talking and that's what I found most annoying about it to be honest with you I found like it was a good question and by, but by the time he answered it by the other the next person who asked it no one was really listening no one really cared yeah. because of what had just happened and that's what frustrated me as a fan is that I don't think we were getting the the best answer from Jürgen Klopp because you could clearly tell he was he was still wound up a bit. yeah if you think back to sort of maybe Rafa Benitez being one as well you know remember obviously the famous press conference that he gave with his piece of paper and his facts and Whatever point he was making, and I'm pretty sure if you read back through the transcript of what he said, there, there would be a, a more than passable point that he was making in terms of scheduling and referees and whatever else. But it was lost among the the narrative of the you know Rafa's cracking up, you know that kind of that, that became the, the the soundtrack to that season, didn't it? Even though you know subsequently, actually, if you look at if you look at how Liverpool performed, it had no impact on on Liverpool's season. You know they they. They, they did pretty well after Rafa made that thing, but it became the narrative, didn't it? And you know, if you want to, if you want to present a, an image that, listen, we're not playing well, but we're, we're having bad results, but everything's calm and we're going to get, we're working and we're going to get back to the sort of a certain level. Doing things like that in the press conference probably doesn't help that, does it? You know, it doesn't. No. You're on a hide and nothing almost in terms of no matter what happens next. Listen, there's no way a press conference impacts what Liverpool do in their next game, but. It definitely will be used if Liverpool don't deliver in the next game. It'll be used as a sort of another bit of evidence for the prosecution a little bit that oh, you know, the the, the mood was bad or the you know that the there was too too much emotion around or whatever you know too much sensitivity or paranoia whatever. 
Um, and you, and you know, you look back down the years really with Liverpool managers. You know, I remember Gerard Houllier. You know, I, I was, wasn't a journalist at the time, but I do remember a lot of press conferences or, or media interviews where he'd talk about people being against the club. You know, ex, he was obsessed with ex-players, wasn't he? I think at one point, sort of sticking the boot in. You know, you think back to. Um, Rafa obviously was one that, that that often seemed to be at war with. Kenny wasn't with, exactly fans. Kenny wasn't, you know, even towards the back end. I can remember Brendan. You know, people might not know this, but Brendan really banned a lot of the the local reporters on the, the, the his last preseason. You know, I think he he fell out with them after the the Stoke game, the six one game. So he he lost that relationship as well, and that it it almost affects managers maybe when they've been at the club for a few years as well as as Jurgen has. There's always this kind of, you know. At some point, does does the the lines are drawn, and when everything's going well, it's it's fine. But when the results aren't, then these things are almost inevitable. But I hope I hope it doesn't um, it doesn't spread and become a sort of a, a bit of a, a war between the local media or the media and, and, and the club because it doesn't need to. Um, and the, the way to change it really is just to win a few games, and yeah, Monday night would be a decent place to start. Absolutely, I always find it that they're interesting that like. There's always this narrative, and, and I think I actually think Jürgen's good at this. And this is kind of contradicts me a little bit. I think it might might have been an issue per se is that we don't listen to outside noise. It doesn't matter. Yeah, when it, I tell yeah. the players they ignore it and all that. But in fairness, everyone and everyone sees everything. Yeah. Like there, there's no way anything like you write or James writes or Melissa or, or, or any anyone on the beat writes or whatever it's national or local. It all gets read. But I find that it's, it's hard for you to then you can't go back now and say. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't pay attention or we don't, yeah. because you, you've, you, the cat's off the bag line. You do because you've just had a bit of a go at someone for something that was written. Yeah, whenever. It, well, he it, does it, it. He's done it a lot. I mean, the Daily Mail seems to be one. Talks button. The Daily Mail seems to be his things. And oh, yeah, Gabby Agbonlahor's had it. Hasn't he? Gabby Agbonlahor's <laughs> had it. I've heard Martin Samuel named in you know in in press conferences. Um, there was one obviously last season. I think with with regards to after the Manchester United game where they he brought it up uh, a piece that was written in the Daily Mail. Um, so we, I don't think anyone believes him when he says, "Oh, we don't, you know, I don't read for one second what you write." You know, he says that, and listen, we're not—that's not us or myself or anyone sort of saying, "Well, we're too important." You know, of course you read what we write. It's—it's—it's it's, it's natural. It's—it's it's part of his job, really, to almost to know what's being, what's getting out of the club, what's being said about the club, what the sort of the the, the mood is a little bit. It's not—it's not a massive part, but it's—it's it, it's definitely part of it. He will be. Part of his press officer and his media team's job to, to let them know that look, you know, the chances are in this press conference there's going to be a question asked about this, which has appeared in this newspaper, and you know that 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 is that's part of the briefing yeah. element to it. So, um, yeah, he does. I mean, I, I I don't think I'm telling a. I think it, I think this is this is available, so I'm not I'm not giving away a trade secret. But I remember when I was at the Echo, and James again. Um, getting a, a little bit of a, a dig about a, a headline that was on the front of the Echo, and it was something about it was when they got beat by Leicester in the in the um, League Cup, twenty seventeen. It would have been, and I think Jurgen had said afterwards something like, um, "I'm I'm sick, I'm sick of the same issues." And I think it was maybe around the idea of you know dominating the game, creating chances, but not not taking them. Yeah. And uh, I think I think James's headline or the, the quote that they pulled out was something like. Join the club, yeah, you know, we're all sick of it. You know that that's a, and, he, and he sort of said, "Ah, oh, I gave you a gave you a lovely uh, open goal there, you know, to, to oh, thank for brilliant, yeah, you know, you took your chance at the back post or something like that." But then he, he, you almost re- remembered, sort of, I'm not supposed to read these kind of things. He said, "I only saw it because I was in the petrol station and it was on the uh, <laughs> it, was, it was on the, the thing." And you you think, okay, yeah, that's it's absolutely the fine. Every day. yeah. yeah. <laughs>
Thanks very much to Neil there for providing the insight like he does every single week. He is an absolute superstar. Moving on then, I've got another one for you. This time it is a clip from the deep dive. Yes, the Reds, it's not going great, is it? Fair to say things could be better, I suppose. But who better to analyse what's going wrong? What could change? What could Jürgen be doing differently? What should he be doing differently? All that kind of stuff. Which players are playing well? Who isn't? Uh, spoiler, most of them. But yeah, anyway, um, here is a clip from Josh Williams and Chris Pajak on this week's Deep Dive. Even if you think in the bare simplest terms, right? Salah featured in our top 10 minutes. Marnie featured in our top 10 minutes. Jota featured in our top 10 minutes last season. There's only one of them out the front three that's there this season. So he's missing his two mates. Exactly. And we quite often think of it Bobby Firmino, but he wasn't in the top 10 minutes last season. Yeah. It was Jota and Mane. Yeah. So Salah's now playing in a completely different front three this season as opposed to last season. So those what you just said there makes perfect sense if you just look at it with that one view in mind. Yeah. And if you look at like who he's playing with now, like Gakpo is attempting to kind of occupy the Firmino space and things like that, but I don't think it's as natural for him. Nunes is trying to do it. I think he looked a little bit like a fish out of water when he's dropped towards midfield areas. Jota, despite being um, a bit more of like a penetrative forward, he was quick and threatens him behind and that. I actually felt Jota complimented Salah really well and I think he did play like Firmino to a higher level than I expected. And even Mane, when Mane tried to play like Firmino towards the back end of the season after we signed Diaz, I thought Mane was really good at it as well. He was brilliant in that night. Absolutely brilliant in that. And then finally, um, Jordan Henderson and Fabinho. Now, Jordan Henderson, I haven't got the stats in front of me here, but I looked at his minutes played across all the seasons. Um, And it's the first time he broke 3,000 minutes, I think since maybe 14, 15, something like that for Jordan, which is, uh, what, you're talking, he's probably 31, 32 years old now. I think in 14, 15 he broke, or maybe it was even earlier. Have you got them there? This is Premier League only, if that's what you... Yeah, yeah. so I looked at this, right? So 13, 14, he did 3,000 minutes. 14, 15, he did 3,000 minutes. And then he never made 3,000 minutes at all, ever again. But his total minutes were up over 3,000. Like that, that's five years, six years without hitting those heights. And then all of a sudden, your work capacity is going back up. Yeah, I mean, that, that period there between like the age of 20 and the age of 24 where Henderson's playing mostly, apart from one little season there, mo- mostly over like two and a half thousand minutes every season. That's when he's like that absolute engine that we associate him with, covering so much ground and things like that. And if you look at Fabinho as well, um, Fabinho isn't quite as old as Henderson. I think he's, how old is he? 20, 29 years at the minute. But Fabinho's got a serious number of minutes on the clock. Mm. Like, if you look back at his career and things like that, he's been playing a lot since the age of 19. And we already know he's not, like, the most mobile and things like that. So, I think Fabinho was maybe... I think Fabinho's performances this season does make a lot more sense if you said he's, he's actually 35, you know. But, he, <laughs> but he's not. He's 29. <laughs> but he's played like a 35, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, that makes I, sense. I remember someone said that about Rooney a few years back. You know, when Rooney initially burst on the scene, and he was just exploding, players bouncing off him and that. If someone said the whole of Wayne Rooney's career would make a lot more sense if he was just five years older than we thought he was throughout his career. Even at like 30, he looked about 35, but when he was like 16, he looked like 22. So I think it's interesting the way some players just go massively ahead of 
I used to have a theory, right, going back years, that I, I, my theory was, and I think it's been disproven because of Messi and Ronaldo and other players now, and maybe because of sports science and stuff. My theory was you had seven or eight years at the top of the game as mm. a striker. And Wayne Rooney still fit into that seven or eight years, I believe, because of what you're, what you're talking about now. He reinvented himself a little bit yeah. later in his career and changed. I think Harry Kane's probably disproved that theory now as well. But back in the 90s and early noughties, that was my, that was my, that's all you can have at the top. Some players still have that, but sports science has elongated a lot of players' careers, I think. Well, it's interesting that you should say that, actually, because I, I went to a, a conference a few few years ago and one of the presenters there was um, the head of sports science for Ajax. Um, and she gave a talk on basically biological age as opposed to like the age you are in terms of your number. Oh, is this the Ronaldo stuff that, that come out of that conference where he was like, he had the fucking body of a 21-year-old and he was like yeah. 30 years old yeah, or something? Yeah, possibly. But she used specific Ajax players and she used Matthias De Litt at the time, he was still there, mm-hmm. and Justin Clivert. And I think... I might be wrong in saying this. I think they're around the same age or whatever it was. But at the age of like 15 or something, the lit had the physical attributes and the physical like body of like a 18, 20 year old. Whereas Clive was more like a 13 year old or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) Something daft like that it was. But it was whatever she did, it really captured that. Players are really on different trajectories when it comes to like fitness and, and physicality and things like that. And, it does seem, it seems a little bit too quick though, doesn't it, that Liverpool's, specifically Fabinho and Henderson, it's, it seems to have caught up with them like like that, like just instantly. It's falling off a cliff, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to move move the discussion on, I'm going to look at the top 10 players this season instead. So Alisson and Salah uh, rank 1 and 2, Van Dijk 3, Trent 4, Robbo 5, Fabinho 6, Thiago 7, Elliot 8, Gomez 9. Nunes 10 so 6 of the 10 are still in it from the season before those mm. 6 are Ali Ali Alisson <laughs> Mo Van Dijk Trent Robbo and Fabinho now bar Alisson of those 6 players I think there are legitimate questions to be asked about is their form anywhere near as good as last season on all of those Mo Van Dijk Trent Robbo and Fabinho yeah I agree Mane's gone Hendo's missed 5 games through injury Joel's missed five games through injury and Jota's missed 27 games through injury. The replacements are Thiago Elliott, Gomez and Nunes. Now, Mo and Ali are on for about the same amount of minutes this season as last, which seems mad considering Mo's 30 years old now. Yeah. Um, but then what that got me thinking, right, and you'll have to bear with us, this, this is just a bit of a bridge at the moment. I started to think... I wonder what cities were like, mm. and I wonder what Arsenal's were like. So I went and got that data as well. My main point here is Arsenal's top ten players last season had an average age of twenty three point one. They played twenty seven thousand five hundred minutes. Manchester City's average age of their top ten was twenty six, three three and a half years nearly older than Arsenal's. They played. 36,600 minutes, so two and a half, eight, nine thousand more minutes, give or take. Liverpool's was the oldest squad last season, 27.6, and played 40,500 minutes with their top 10 players. Initially, 
What are your thoughts on Arsenal being the youngest squad last season playing the fewest minutes, City being in the middle and the oldest squad playing the most minutes, a full 13,000 more minutes than Arsenal did last year? Well, I think it's it's telling, isn't it? You can it's literally exactly what you'd expect has happened looking at that this season in terms of like the team that played the team that was the oldest and played thirteen thousand more minutes than the team that's currently top of the league has basically fallen off a cliff. And if it feels a little bit like if you imagine like you you put a sponge in water and, and Klopp's just kind of like wrung it out like that, there's literally nothing left. To, to get from the sponge and it now you now need fresh water basically you need new players in um, and Liverpool kind of you know they got a teenage Calvin Ramsey in teenage Fabio Carvalho in and Darwin Nunes and now we've got Cody Gapo in but the actual engine room which is tasked, I mean it's called the engine room for a reason um, has looked shattered and it's it's no surprise really and you could, you could even say similar as is starting to happen with City really isn't it yeah and I think that's the other thing that got me thinking so I then looked at the minutes this season of those 10 players specifically so those 10 players that Arsenal played last season have 17,000 minutes in the legs City 16,800 minutes and Liverpool's 15,993 minutes so it's gone the flip reverse this time Arsenal's have got more minutes City's the middle still Liverpool's the fewest now I went down the injury route Two players for Arsenal have had got injured from those 10, missing 17 games. Three players from City have been injured from their top 10 players, missing 23 games. Seven of Liverpool's top 10 players have had injuries this season and missed a total of 56 games. Again, most minutes, highest number of injuries the next season. Yeah. Fewest minutes, lowest number of injuries the next season. Mm. That's a bit mad that I can find this stuff out, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, it's 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 just what you'd expect, isn't it? This is exactly what we'd expect based on how the season's gone so far. Part of me does wonder, are we just doing something different training-wise compared to Arsenal in particular, but also City? Obviously, Liverpool's doctor left at the start of the season, didn't he? And it was kind of unexplained. Spent a few months trying to get a replacement for him. Um, and we've got lots of different we've apparently got a weird structure behind the scenes in terms of how things work and stuff like that um, but even if there's no even if there is some kind of issue with the, the way the medical department works and things like that even if the, the department is is perfect that's still surely kind of like a, a foregone conclusion at the end of last season that we're going to kind of suffer some kind of physical decline like that unless we do something different, i.e. getting in younger, fresher legs or doing having a much lighter pre-season or something just to kind of navigate what was what was going to come. And I'm, I'm speaking with hindsight now because at the time I did think they were going to have a good season. But it, looking at it now, the way, the way you've just put it there, it, it's no surprise really that we've suffered this massive physical decline. Thanks to Josh and thanks to Chris for that one. Yeah, there you go. That is just a taster of some of the content you get over on Red Men Plus each and every week. Didn't even include some of the other shows. So yeah, Red Men Uncensored. Uh, we can't basically we can't put clips of that one out on this uh, weekly podcast because we're not allowed to. Essentially, um, it's stuff that it's in the circle of trust. It's, it, we have to keep it in house. It, it's not for public consumption. So yeah, that is available over there. So we've got loads and loads of stuff. Got um, the LFC draft, the whole back catalogue of those. 
We've got Dream Teams, where we speak to famous celebrity Liverpool fans and get their all-time 11s. It's all available over there on Redmen Plus. Like I say, if you want to get yourselves involved and you want to listen to it, all you've got to do is use that weekly code. Yeah, W-E-E-K-L-Y. Sign up as a yearly club captain and you'll get it for 25 quid. It's half price. It works out at about 48p a week, give or take, for all, like, again, You've just heard clips of six of them. There's a few more out there as well. So all that content every single week, which is 48p, it's an absolute bargain. Like I say, you can listen to them or you can watch them on your devices. So yeah, head on over to redmenplus.com. Sign up, use that code, and I will be back next week with another one of these amazing roundup shows. Until then, everyone, have a good weekend and I'll catch you all soon. Take care. Before we go, I've got a clip here with Ragnald Ansnes the founder of the Liver Girls International, as they are hosting an event at Anfield March the 4th for women in sport, women who like sport, um, and hopefully to inspire the next generation. So yeah, here is that clip. Hi, I'm here, Chloe Bloxham, joined by Ragnald Ansnes um, for a very special little podcast here. Uh, she's obviously an author of many Liverpool books, host of LFC Talk, co-owner of Hotel Tia, and also um, a founder for the Liver Girls International and that is exactly why we're here the Liver Girls International event that is happening um, and we're here joined by the person who's setting it all up the founder so you can get all the correct info straight uh, correctly from here so let's begin then uh, where and when is the event happening so we are warming up to the Liverpool Manchester United game with a lunch we're taking over Anfield only women for the 4th of March for lunch, um, so 12 o'clock, and uh, it's going to be an amazing, an amazing event. Yeah, and what is the event? What, who's it aimed for? What are you trying to get out of the event? So the event is for every single girl, aged 12 to over 100, if you can still make it. <laughs> we had Peggy, 90, last year, who got sung out of the wheelchair. So it's for all girls all over the world who love Liverpool Football Club. And uh, it's for us to come together and celebrate diversity, inclusiveness, uh, empowerment, and most importantly, make some new friends. Yeah, 100%. It is a connection. It is a way to make friends. Um, and I know being all myself, it's not always easy. And none of my mates like football, I'm going to be dead honest. So now that we've heard what the event is and who it's aimed for, how can these people buy tickets so that they can get their bums down to Anfield uh, and be one of us? They can go to Instagram and find us uh, under Live Girls International. The ticket link will be in the bio or you can find us on Facebook Live Girls International. You can even go to Hotel Tia's Facebook page and go under events there and find the ticket link and more information there. Um, or you can go directly to skittle.com and search up Live Girls or Anfield. Brilliant. Uh, hopefully we'll get uh, a couple more people coming to the event. Um, so on the tickets, we've obviously mentioned people who can buy the tickets. There's also people who can sponsor tickets. Um, who do those tickets then go to? So we've also opened up for community seats. So if you're participating or or if you just want to uh, help out, you can go into the ticket link and buy half a ticket or a full seat or even a whole table if you are a business watching this and would like to make a difference and, and help celebrate diversity and inclusiveness because we're making sure more of the local women in the Liverpool North get the chance to come. We will also, as we're working very uh, closely with uh, Milstead School, 
um, which is a school for special needs. We're also going to invite some of the moms who really, really deserve a little break and, and a little lift. Some of them will be invited as well. Um, so it's a little mix of that. So our charity and, and Lynn Irving in Milstead School will be, will be uh, choosing really deserving uh, ladies, young and old, for these community seats. So it's giving back to the community and the area around the stadium. So now that we've obviously heard who it's for, what the event is about, um, who will be there for anyone who buys one of these lucky tickets to be at Anfield? So we've found um, a midfield jewel uh, <laughs> who's coming. His name is Steve McManaman. I do not think he will be wearing his white suit. Sorry, ladies. Uh, but he is, uh, as we know, uh, a great pundit of the game today. So we'll talk a little bit about his time Um in, in, in playing for the Reds, but also um, what it's like in this industry now in terms of, of females coming coming up. He's got some wonderful daughters who will eventually choose what they're doing and they, they're loving their sport. So it will be fun to hear from him from that perspective. We have um, a boss Knights, Kieran Molyneux, coming to play for us and the girls will be singing along. We've also invited um, a young DJ in her teenaging years from Anfield North um, to come and play for us to to boost her CV and, and get uh, give her that chance to to do a big event like that. We love that. Uh, Olivia Graham is coming to talk to us about her uh, LGBT project with LFC. And a certain Chloe Bloxham <laughs> is coming to talk about being um, a young girl uh, choosing to um, to follow her dream in terms of, of being a pundit in football. We like that a lot as well. And there's maybe a surprise guest as well coming yes. for anyone. You oh. never know. There's always a surprise when we do these Live Girls events. So you never know. And finally, to round it all off then, you, you've done several of these in the past now um, and, and they're quite big events. What is How important is this event to women all across the world, women in sport and women in the community in and around Anfield? So we've done this campaign for many years for for uh, women in Norway and the feedback is, has been incredible, you know, how much it means because a lot of girls feel a little isolated um, among the boys um, with their passion for, for football. And uh, not everyone has got someone to travel to Liverpool and, and, and go to games with. So this is a, a, a great way to, um, to connect all these girls across ages and, and countries and cities and religions and, and what have you, um, and connect and, and make this, this connection of friends that you can always discuss football with, where you can always share your passion and your opinions with, and where you can always go and, and see a game with if it's, if it's live or on TV, you know, there's just that network of not feeling alone, but also um, it's also for everyone, you know, no matter if you are comfortable or not or surrounded by lots of girls or not in, in your football passion. It's just about celebrating us as really fun, cool people who love football. You know, it's, it's, it's a party and, and it's, it's an uplifting one. Well, thank you so much, Ragnold, for coming in to tell us about the Live Girls International event. It's a brilliant event, guys, so please do get down there. Uh, women, girls, age 12 to 102, yes, 102, uh, do get down to Anfield Saturday, the 4th of March, uh, for this wonderful, inspiring, empowering uh, event. Uh, we really, really do hope to see you there. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, 
They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.